Amen. He has washed our sins away, and we are so thankful. And in the same way that He has ministered to us in grace, mercy, and love, we are to minister to others as well. As we come this morning, indeed, we said last time as we looked at the fact that we are to be a family within the church family, we said that the church is to be much more than a country club corporate culture where we come to sit, soak, and sour. It should be much more than just a temporal experience where we just come and pass a little time. The church is to be the family of God, seeking Him faithfully, serving Him with fidelity, and saturating this community and this church fully with His love. As such, we are to care for one another as if we were in one family, because ultimately we said that indeed this is the family, the brothers and sisters in Christ are the family that we will spend all of eternity with. And so we ought to treat one another and begin to treat one another here and now as if this was our true family. If we are indeed redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ and united with him by faith, we are eternally saved and sanctified as children of the living God. And we are to serve one another as we live with a family perspective for the family of God. And today we are going to take up the issue of ministries of mercy within the family of God, which is the church in Scripture, widows, orphans, and aliens, those who are without husbands and homes, and husbands, homes, and parents are valued for who they are in and of themselves. And they are said to deserve special honor, protection, and care. Indeed, throughout the Bible, justice and love are demanded for God's people from God's people for these who do not have husbands, homes, and, uh, and parents. God is described within the scripture that we read earlier as a father to the fatherless, as a defender of widows. It is written of him that he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. And because this is the kind of God that we serve, this is the character of the God we serve, and we are increasingly to be conformed to his character, it is, imper- it is imperative that you and I have the character where we express compassion, care, and concern for the least among us. God has a special concern for those who are without husbands, parents, and homes. I've uh, gone through the scriptures and just pulled out a few that deal with the way that you are to interact with widows, orphans, and aliens. God is described as their protector and judge. It says in Psalm 65, verse 8, He is a father to the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in His holy habitation. In Psalm 146, verse 9, it says the Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. In Deuteronomy 27, 19, it says, Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God, our God and Father, according to James 1.27, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is pure and undefiled religion, to visit widows and orphans 
in their distress. And I must ask how many of us have that ministry of mercy? How many of us are participating in that high calling of God? See, God always cares for those who exist on the margins, on the periphery of society and of culture. He has established certain structures within this world to care for those who are on the margins and periphery, primarily the family unit and the church family in its ministry. Indeed, the family and the church family are to provide care and compassion for those who are alone, alienated within this world. Both the family and the church have responsibilities in showing God's care and compassion for those among their community. The church is a conglomeration, if we ever forget, of sinners from all sorts of people, places, and positions of society. It's just a conglomeration, really, of sinners from all sorts of people, places, and positions of society. Indeed, Christians are those who have tasted and seen the grace, the love, and the mercy of God in the, in the loving work of redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ. And because of that, that it took us from being simply sinners before God who had no standing to being sons and daughters of the Most High. If God has extended to us grace, love, and mercy in that manifestation, surely we are to manifest it to others around us. In the same way that we have seen and tasted the goodness and grace of God in our lives, we are to extend grace, love, and mercy to others within the church family and within the community, especially to those without husbands, without parents, and without homes. We are to reflect God's mercy in our lives through ministries of mercy in the local church. Ministries of mercy in the local church. Now, this is particularly applicable for us today because, as I count it, we have over 50 among our number here at Adamsville Baptist Church who would be counted in as widows. Fifty. Fifty that we are charged with the care and compassion, concern for these ladies who have lost their husbands. We need to be people of grace, mercy, and love. Showing others within our community the reality of God's protection and provision through His church family in the midst of our daily lives. Let us take our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3-16. through 16, And let us look together as we see a ministry of mercy in the church. Let's stand and honor the reading of this, God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 
A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies. Talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them, and the church must not be burdened, so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the word that speaks to our hearts, to our lives. Father, may you lead us in these moments to study and apply it well. Father, may we indeed uh, understand that you are a God of grace, mercy, and love. Father, because you have demonstrated that grace, mercy, and love to us in salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ our Lord, we are to demonstrate it to others in practical ways each and every day. Father, may you come now and bless the reading of your word. Father, allow it to percolate in our hearts. And Father, to change and transform our minds and our actions. Allow it, Father to lead us and guide us in your will. Father, we ask now that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. The church is indeed the eternal spiritual family of God, exercising ministries of mercy for others' good and for God's glory. Last time we said that it is a redemptive family that is is working to exercise these things for our good and for God's glory. But this passage moves the focus from ourselves to others. And the church indeed is the eternal spiritual family of God. Exercising ministries of mercy for others good and for God's glory. The church indeed should be a place that wisely carries on a ministry of mercy. For those that are helpless and hopeless in our midst. John thirteen thirty five, Jesus says they will know you how. They will know you by the love that you have one for another they will know that you are mine they will see your life the the fact that you are living out the love that i have given to you if you have love one for another so we are to be a place that is a ministry of mercy but understand that does not mean that we can fix every problem and it does not mean that we are to throw money relentlessly at problems thinking that that will solve everything Rather, we are to go to the Word to pull out practical principles and to apply them within our lives. And so as we come this morning, first of all, we need to see the church's support of widows indeed. 
the church's support of widows indeed. There in verses 3, 5, 9, and 10, we see the, the church is supposed to support those who are widows indeed. As we begin our study of this ministry of mercy to the widows of the church, let us start with a few definitions. First of all, we need to understand that the Greek word that is used for widows here is the Greek word chera. And that word chera means one who is bereft, one who has been robbed, having suffered loss or left alone. It is a word that describes the situation and circumstance of a person, not how it occurred. Doesn't explain exactly how it occurred. It simply means one who is a widow. And that word can extend to those who are bereft, those who have been robbed, those who have suffered loss or have been left alone. It is broad enough to encompass those that have lost their husbands through death, desertion, divorce, and imprisonment. Indeed, it can be understood in a wide sense of the term, but it is very clear that these are women who have been left alone due to some situation and circumstance not of their causing. Second term that we need to discuss this morning is the term honor. The term honor is found there in verse 3. Honor these widows who are widows indeed. This is not to imply that we may disrespect other widows, that we honor some while we disrespect others. No, not at all. Paul means here that the church should financially help those who are widows in this situation. The Greek word translated honor has a double meaning. First of all, that meaning has the idea of a price that is paid, a price that is received for one who is worthy. From there, it came to refer to honor or esteem attached to something or someone due to their value. Thus, the word can refer both to material support and or esteem. So the church is charged with honoring the true widow by both giving material support and esteem to faithful and faith-filled women. Those who are widows indeed. Now, the next thing that we need to understand is not only the word widow, not only the term honor, but we also need to understand that there are at least four different type of widows that are addressed in this passage. Four different types of widows. First of all, there are those who are widows indeed. And those are found in three, five, verses 3 through 5, verses 9 and 10. And then again at the end of verse 16. These widows indeed are those who do not have family members to care for them. And so we might say it this way, that these are not only widows indeed, they are widows in need. That's really what it's saying. Secondly, there are widows who have family to support them. And we see that in verse 4 and then again in verse 16. That there are widows who have family that are there to support them, who can protect and provide for them. Thirdly, there are younger widows. Those who are young enough to and who should remarry and go on with the normal course of life. Fourthly, There are widows who live for pleasure rather than for the Lord. And those are found there in verse 6. Those who live for wanton pleasure. Now the ones that we are talking about in this specific section of the sermon is those who the the church should support who are widows indeed. 
And what are the qualifications of a widow indeed? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Let us look together and see six qualifications that we find in these verses. First of all, in verse 5, she's left alone. There are no relatives to support her with a source of income or encouragement. There's no one who can protect her or provide for her. Indeed, there's no one around that is watching over her. Remember, women didn't have the choice of careers that they have today. Indeed, within this time, there was no such thing as government or private pension plans, no social security, no Medicare, no Medicaid for them to depend on. Indeed, they're hardly worth depending on anyway. But within these days, there was nothing. And so it was a real responsibility for the church to be God's hand of protection and provision for those who were without within the society. Indeed, God's family Their love was seen when they were practical in protecting and providing those who had nothing in the midst of their community. Secondly, second qualification, she puts her trust in God. Look there in verse 5. She doesn't trust in the things of this world. She doesn't trust in the people in the places of this world. She trusts in God and God alone. She has a continuous confidence in God. She has fixed her hope on God. Notice she's not looking to any people or powers of this world. She is looking to who? The one who is the principal power of this world. That is God and God alone. And because she is looking to him, look at what she does as we continue on in verse 5. The third qualification is that she would be a lady who prays night and day. A woman who is in continual fervent and effectual prayer. She is continually not only hoping in God, not only trusting in God, but she is committed day by day to praying night and day for God to work out Uh, His will within this world. Fourthly, in verse 9, we see that she is to be no no, uh, younger than 60 years of age. Indeed, some of you are going, I'm 59 and a half. I'm glad to know I'm a younger lady. Here you go. 60 or, or older. Fifthly. In verse 9, she was to be faithful to her one husband in the same way that an elder is to be the one woman man. She is to be a one man woman. Sixthly, verse 10, she is to be well known for her good deeds, including raising her kids in hospitality. These women are notable women of faith that have a right priority for their faith, their family, and their faith family. You see it working out within the context. Look there in verse 10 at what it says. It says, first of all, she must have a good reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. This is a woman of God whom the world knows by just looking at her character. Indeed, we see throughout the text of Scripture many women who could fit this description, but perhaps the most fitting of all the women is there in Luke chapter 2 when that lady named Anna, the prophetess, is there within the temple. Indeed, Anna was there in the temple when Jesus was brought for his dedication. After seven years of marriage, we're told, her husband had died 
and she had devoted herself to spiritual ministry. She had found a nook in the temple and made God's house into her personal home. She married herself, as it were, to God, serving Him without leaving the temple with fastings and prayer that lasted day and night. This is a woman who was committed to God. At age 84, Anna was there in the temple when Mary and Joseph brought young Jesus to be dedicated to the Lord. She was there when Simeon recognized the Lord Christ and she instantly changed her ministry and devoted herself from that point forward to speaking of Him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. You want redemption? This man named Jesus Christ, this baby named Jesus Christ has come into the world that He might be the Savior and sustainer of all mankind. She instantly knew who He was because she knew who God was and she was able to minister faithfully the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, she displayed her faith in God by continually serving God, and she fulfilled her ministry faithfully by sharing the good news of redemption in Jesus Christ. This is exactly the kind of widow, indeed, that is a widow who is to receive the ministry of mercy within the church of the living God. Indeed, I think of many of our ladies who have passed on within our church. But there is one that I will never forget. Her name was Millie Taylor. And a 29-year-old pastor walked in and didn't have a clue. But every day, Millie Taylor came to this church. She walked in the doors. She walked through the office and brightened your day. She went and locked herself away in the library, working endlessly, tirelessly to organize and and structure the library. But even more than that, you know what Miss Millie was doing in that library? She was praying. Hours on end, praying for God to work, for the gospel to go forth. Indeed, what a blessing to know that there are saints all around you who are committed to praying and to serving the Lord in such a way. Indeed, we need to understand from this passage that the church has a responsibility to care for those who are not protected for or provided for by anyone else. He speaks in verse 9 of the widow being put on the list. What in the world does that mean? Well, it seems to be a permanent list. Evidently, this list is a list of women that have vowed to devote all of their time and all of the talents to the ministry of the church of the living God in exchange for the church taking care of their needs. Notice not their wants, their needs. She is one who performs spiritual and charitable functions for the church. In other words, she assists the deacons and the elders in the ministry of the church. She pledges that she will serve for the the church for the rest of her natural life. She will be a servant, a counselor, an intercessor for the church. She will give guidance and direction to other widows and orphans supported by the church. This widow who has had no means for material support in and of herself is now supported by the church. She is viewed as a person, not, only, not uh, someone who is just m- getting something from the church, but is 
also someone who is giving something back to the church. See, she's not simply a recipient of welfare. She, in receiving the outpouring of the church's support for her in her time of need, will turn around and do what? She will give of herself, give of her time, give of her talents back to the church in the fullness. And yet we search high and low and we can rarely find anyone who is willing to give themselves in fullness. Everything, all of their time, their talents, and their treasure. Surrendering fully to Christ and to work for His gospel kingdom. Indeed, the principle of this passage is that the Christian life is never merely a matter of receiving, of taking, of getting, but it always entails giving back that which we have received. In the same way that we have received grace, mercy, and love, we are to give it away to others. When we see godly, faith-filled, and faithful women within the church who need protection, who need provision, it is the church's duty to stand by them, to meet the needs, to protect and provide for those who, do, who have nothing, for those who are widows indeed, are widows in need. Secondly, the church's response to widows not indeed. Not that they are not somehow widows, but that they are not widows in the same way. And you need to understand here, this is a loving response. Really, this is a loving response. It's hard to get that, but I want you to just remember, the church's response is one that is a response of love to those who are not widows indeed. In contrast to the faith-filled and faithful widow indeed, Paul says that there are other widows that should be cared for. They should be honored, but this care... This care and this compassion is to be different and distinct from those who are mentioned in in those other verses. Remember from verse 2, all Christian women within the church are to be seen as mothers, as sisters within the church family. But God's wisdom flows through Paul's words to his church to guard and to guide the mercy ministry. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are the characteristics of the widows not? in need what are the characteristics of those who would be widows not in need a full-time support from the church to them within the course of life well first of all paul plainly commands that the church does not preempt the family the church is not to preempt the family the first responsibility for supporting those who are widows falls upon who that's the question The family. I'm glad you read along with me and you got it. The family. A widow with children or grandchildren uh, should be cared for by them. Look at verse 4 and see what it says. If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. The parents have contributed immeasurably to the children and to the grandchildren's welfare. And so now it is their turn to take responsibility. It is their turn to step up to the plate and to minister to their parents in the same way that their parents ministered to them. You could say it this way. It's time for them to change the diapers of those who have changed their own. But I don't like that, Pastor. Okay. God's word says that's what's required for you to practice piety in exercising ministries of mercy to those who have already demonstrated love, mercy, and grace to you in your life. 
Verse 16, this even extends to multiple generations of widows within the home. Ruth cared for Naomi within the Old Testament. She went out and gleaned from the fields and brought it in to provide for Naomi. They didn't run around asking for handouts, asking for benefits. They stood up, they took responsibility, and they carried on with life, showing that they were dependent upon the living God for His goodness and His grace. Indeed, we are to see and understand family has the first priority in meeting the needs of those who are widows. In fact, Paul in verse 8 clarifies that. He goes so far as to say that if a person does not provide for his own family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's denied the faith and he is worse than the unbeliever. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. Well, you know what? I'm just going to ignore what mom has now. I'm going to ignore that my mom's eating dog food. That grandma is suffering miserably. With no one to care, no one to protect and provide for her. Listen, if you turn your uh, blind eye to those who are in need, especially those within your family, the Bible says you are worse than an unbeliever. Pretty descript language. Even most unbelievers were kind enough to provide for their aged parents. It was Greek law from the time of Solon who died in uh, 559 B.C. that sons and daughters were morally and legally bound to support their parents. The word provide in verse 8 is literally to think ahead, to take thought for, to begin to plan or prepare for. And it is a pretty good case here in this passage for a man to have adequate life insurance or other provision for his family. Insurance salesman, you can tip me later. Guys, it's a serious issue. The way we care for others, specifically the way we care for our family, is a demonstration of our relationship and our submission to the living God and to His Word. And we should never take it lightly. We should never pass it by. Indeed, Paul is saying that if you don't provide financially for your family, not only not in luxury, but in their needs, you are behaving worse than unbelievers. Listen, we're not talking about a big screen and a Lincoln for grandma. We're talking about safety and shelter and sustenance. We need to understand it is much more than sticking them in a home and saying, Be good, we'll see you in another six months. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks to this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Honor. What did we say honor meant? Esteem and provide for We need to be people who honor God as we honor our parents. The principle is this. If the family can provide for widows, they should do so. If there is no family to provide for those widows, then the the older widows may be supported by the church. If they are godly women who have given everything of their time and their talents to serve Christ. Secondly, second qualification for those who are not widows indeed. 
These are those who would be a woman that lives for luxury and pleasure there in verse 6 in in contrast to these godly women who are faithful and faith-filled. Paul mentions widows who live for wanton pleasure. The word means to live in luxury. Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49, God indeed condemned Sodom because she and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food, and careless ease, but did not help the poor and needy. In other words, Paul is referring to a widow who lives in luxury and has no concern for other the others. There is no concern for those who are down and out. There is no concern for those who are on the edge of society. There is no concern for those who need strength and support and sustenance. Indeed, we understand she is sensitive. She, the woman of God, is to be sensitive to the things of God. And if she has no care and no compassion for those around her, and she lives in luxury while she sends everybody else away begging, there's a major problem. She doesn't have the character to be put on the list. Now, this sounds a warning to American Christians, doesn't it? Sounds a drastic warning to us. Because, see, the spirit of our age is this. Well, you know what? I've worked all my life. I've saved up all of my money. I've put it away, and I want to enjoy myself. I'm retired. I don't want to be bugged. I don't want to go down to the church. I don't want to minister. I don't want to be bothered with any of the needs of somebody else. Well, they should have worked as hard as I've worked. I'm going to block out the church, the world, and its problems, and I'm just going to live for me. And you know where I got that from? From hearing some of your conversations. That's not the right attitude, guys. Lest you ever forget, God gave you the health and the ability to earn the money in the first place. And it's not yours, it's His. Let us never, never, never think that we are owners of the resources God has given us to manage. Indeed. A godly person approaching retirement should see it as an opportunity to be freed up so that he or and she can devote more time to faithfully serving the Lord. Real fulfillment is not, fill, not finding, uh, found in a life of living in pleasure and self-gratification, for that is death. Real fulfillment is found in living for Christ and serving others for His sake. Let me ask you this morning, what is your priority? Where do you place your priority? The question for you this morning, morning are you more concerned about going golfing or going to make disciples let me ask you this morning more concerned about collecting seashells on the seashore or souls for the eternity that we will spend for the with the living god i fear far too many of us have misplaced our priorities and we are living for luxury and not for god That is death. But life is to live and to serve Christ alone. The third qualification is young women are not to be put on this list. Young women under the age of 60. Some of you are smiling as I said earlier. Because you didn't realize you were young women until right now. But Paul gives some pretty strict 
warnings about putting younger widows on the list. You can see the obvious difficulties of a younger woman making a pledge to serve the church in exchange for the church's lifelong support of her in her time of need and then deciding later on that she wants to remarry. And so because she's already taken the pledge, because she's already taken the vow, she is endangering herself. And so Paul says in a very practical moment, listen, protect the younger women by ministering to them faithfully as sisters, but do not let them become entirely reliant or dependent upon the church for their material needs. For the temptation for them will be to forsake the vow that they have taken to devote all of their time and talents to the ministry of the living God and for them to learn to be idle, to be busybodies and gossips. Now, we don't have any women that would ever participate in that kind of thing, do we? Surely not. But what he's saying, listen, if as a young lady, if you experience the loss of your husband, you are to devote yourself, dedicate yourself to the service of the living God in fullness. And if you can't do that, then listen, go ahead and look and pray and ask for God to provide you with another mate. Indeed, if idle hands are the devil's workshop, have you ever heard anybody say that? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. If idle hands are the devil's workshop, then busy hands are God's toolkit. Get to work. Get busy. We are to serve God wherever we are. We are to minister faithfully to Him. But there are some who will devote themselves fully to Jesus Christ and to His service. Others have made that vow and then they've reneged against it. They've gone away from it. Some have even become servants of Satan by furthering his attacks against the church of the living God. Be careful to encourage your young women within the church to get on course with God's plan for faith, family, and facilitating the flow of God, of the gospel. In other words, they are not to sit around sulking for the rest of their lives. They are to be shown that they have a place a priority within the church. They've got a ministry. They are of great value. Older women, it is an option for you to seek and to serve God faithfully every day here within the church. But there's also a warning for young women. Go ahead. Get remarried. Have children. Go on with the normal course of life. That sounds hard, but at the same time, it is such a blessing. Go ahead with the normal flow that God has designed for life. Now, let me just say a moment here. We need to be challenging both our young men and our young women to step up and to step out and to start working diligently for God, serving God within the context of this community and this world. It is a sad commentary that we bring people in and say, well, you know, you're 35 and you're, you don't have a job and just come back and live with mom and dad for as long as you want. There is a difference between being a merciful ministry that is helping and supporting someone getting back on their feet and being someone who is enabling People that just want to be idle. Busybodies. Isn't it sad when you see the 25-year-old still living at home with mom and dad, hadn't shaved in three weeks, doesn't have a job, and eating cold pizza every day? 
That's sad. Guys, get up and get out and go work. Young ladies, if you find yourself in that position, get up, get out, go work. Pray that God would bring about a man or a woman for you to marry, that he would give you the gift of a family. What a blessing. But get on the horse and go make life. Paul isn't just looking here, though, to fill a slot in ministry. He's always thinking about the well-being of those who will minister. So he says to the younger widows, don't do this to yourself. If God be pleased, remarry. You go ahead and have a family. You live a normal life. He says, of course, there are those others that will be on the widow's list who indeed have shown by their character that they are to be fully supported within the church and provided for because they are widows indeed. And so the widows indeed are the widows in need. And the church has full responsibility to provide fully for them. But for those others, the widows who have other family to support them, the widows who are living for luxury and not for God, the widows who are young and have potential to remarry and to build a life, we indeed ought to lovingly, carefully encourage them support them, and come alongside and minister to our sisters in Christ. In our day and time, we tend to think of volunteers in terms of what they have to offer us and apart from their character. Paul says, look, number one, at the character of all those who are volunteering in the church. And unless they meet these marks of character, don't allow them to minister. But secondly, Care deeply about them. Don't just use people. Care for them. Care about their situation. Care about their circumstance. Care about their station in life. If this is a younger widow, let her have the opportunity to remarry and to serve in the normal courses of life. Paul's words of wisdom give us principles for how we ought to operate today. And as we operate in these ways, we manifest the tangible love of Christ for his people to a watching world. We are to be a place that has respect, compassion, and responsibility as the principles by which we live. And so if you are a widow indeed this morning and you have not been taken care of, please come and share that with us. Let us know your needs. Let us know where we can come alongside and support you. But understand, we want to come alongside and support you so that you might be freed up, so that you might serve faithfully here within the congregation, so that you might be devoted to God, and that you might spend time in prayer and fasting and continually ministering among the church of the living God. If you're not a widow indeed, but you're a widow this morning, Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Prayerfully consider what God has for you. Prayerfully consider the course of your life through these next few years. Prayerfully consider how you're going to use the time and the talents that God has given you. If it's to go to work and to provide, wonderful. Bless God for the great gift He has given you in your health and your ability. If it's in seeking out remarriage, praise God. We rejoice with you. 
We want to come alongside you. But understand, you need to be looking for a Christian husband according to the Scriptures so that you don't fall away from your first faith. For all of us this morning, we are people who have an empty place in our lives. See, we have an empty place because within our lives, there's an emptiness because we are sinners who were created to live in a perfect and pure relationship with the living God. And the reality is our sin has separated us from Him. And yet within our sin, because of our sin, there is no way that we could live rightly with Him in His perfect holiness and righteousness. But listen, this morning He has provided a way for you and I to be the bride of Christ. He has provided a way for you and I to come and to have a right relationship with the living God. And that way is that He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect and a pure life here within this world so that he might suffer and die on the cross of Calvary taking your sin, my sin, your shame, my shame upon himself put fully the wrath of God upon the person of Jesus Christ at that cross and then he was buried but praise God on the third day he rose again as a sign of victory over sin, death and hell and this morning if we come And lay our lives down. Surrender our time, our talents, and our treasure to Him and to Him alone. His grace, His love, and His mercy will pour over our lives. And He will make the one who was once a sinner into a saint. The one who was once separated into a son and daughter of the Most High. Let me ask you this morning, are you a member of the bride of Christ? you're not today is the day surrender your soul surrender your life surrender your time surrender your talent surrender your treasure surrender everything to christ so that you might seek him and serve him within this world father as we come to the close of our service today may we be encouraged to care and to show compassion in the same way that you have shown care and compassion for us Lord, may we show grace, love, and mercy to others as we practice ministries of mercy that display the same mercy that you showed to us in your work of salvation. Lord, we ask this morning that if there is anyone here who is not a part of the bride of Christ, who is not surrendered their life, their time, their talents, and their treasure to you and to you alone. Father, if there's someone here this morning that's more concerned about golfing than going uh, to minister the gospel to the world, if there's someone more worried about uh, collecting seashells on the seashore than, Father, storing up souls in your eternal heaven, we ask that this morning would be a day where they change their priorities. They would lay their lives down. And let you pick it up and make them useful to minister your mercy within our community and within our culture. Father, lead us and guide us in this time of decision. Lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a decision that you'd like to make this morning, I invite you to come.